I think also after testing the market, so actually piloting, getting a minimum viable product out there, making sure your customers are going to pay for what you want. After you've done some of that lead work to set a strategy, build your business model, test what your pilot with your customer, I think at that point, you're ready to really pursue funding. Maybe a little bit in those early days, but it should be light until you kind of take that milestone. You're like, yep, I've got my I'm past minimal viable product. Customers are going to pay for this. I know how much runway I need. And now I'm ready to think about how to actually get that funding. Ending small business failure. Welcome to the Small Biz Chat Podcast with the number one small business expert, Melinda Emerson. Melinda's goal is to end small business failure, and she'll give you the information you need to succeed and live the life you dream of. Now, here's your host, the Small Biz Chat Lady herself, Melinda Emerson. Hi, everybody. I'm Melinda Emerson, the Small Biz Lady, America's number one small business expert. And it is my pleasure to welcome you to another episode of the Small Biz Chat Podcast. We have an amazing show for you tonight. Now, my guests here are going to give us the insight on all the different funding options for your business, whether you're a startup or you're ready to scale. Now, if you think that you're ready to pursue investment for your business, you're going to want to hear from my expert who is an angel investor. She's going to give you her tips for knowing when you are actually ready. Now here on the Small Biz Chat Podcast, our mission is to end small business failure. This show is for you. I bring in top experts who give advice from multiple angles, all with the mission to take your business to the next level. Now, hopefully you're joining us watching the Small Biz Chat Podcast from my YouTube channel or my Facebook page. And as always, if you hear something great, leave us a comment. Better yet, subscribe to my channel so that you never miss another episode of the Small Biz Chat Podcast. So with that, it is time for me to introduce my guest, Brooke Daniels. She has over a decade of experience in tech, startups, and venture capital. And she's the director of the Salesforce Ventures and CEO of Daniels & Co., a business strategy firm supporting entrepreneurs focused on maximizing profit and scalability. Book's passion is supporting entrepreneurs and stemming business failure with her signature Ready Aim launch system, which helps level up enterprises from startup to seasoned companies. She's held corporate roles at Salesforce, Intap, AT&T, and BMW Financial Services. For more information, head over to thebrookdaniels.com. Brooke, welcome to the Small Biz Chat Podcast. Hello, Melinda. I'm excited to be here tonight. All right. So I got to understand your backstory. I want to hear how it is you went, you know, you you built an an entrepreneurial business yourself and have become an angel investor. Absolutely. My uh, original background starts as a broadcaster stumbled into tech. So I actually went abroad to Germany and instead of pursuing broadcasts, fell in love with technology which brought me to being an operator at startup companies. And from there, had a really incredible journey, Melinda, working at high-growth startup companies like NTAP, pivoted to Salesforce. But my husband and I have always had an entrepreneurial bug. And so even working in corporate, I've always been an entrepreneur, trying to innovate, find ways to continue to improve, bring new businesses to life, markets. And my husband and I started with a food truck 
in our 20s. He's a chef. And so we had a food truck called Street Spice in Charlotte. Everyone asked what kind of food is it? It was international street food was the theme. So we did really cool internationally themed sliders. Uh, and then the rest is kind of history from there. We've had several businesses uh, after that e-commerce business. We now have a business helping entrepreneurs uh, access business credit, which I know we'll touch on a little bit later. But then beyond that, I wanted to also kind of help tackle the funding gap for women and for founders of color. We know it exists less than 2% of the funding and venture capital goes to women and founders of color. And so I just saw it as a place where I could have a really tremendous impact. And that brought me into venture capital and angel investing. So we could write more checks, honestly, to the founders that needed the most. So why do you think that access to funding is so important for business owners? It is crucial for business owners. And it's funny because I think sometimes as a small business owner, we feel like the rules are different for us than for larger companies. But if you look at any large company, I don't care if it's Facebook, Amazon, uh, Fenty, for example, is also a VC-backed company, which a lot of people don't realize it takes money to make money. And too often, I think small business owners feel like we can just use um, personal capital to get us through, but we're not seeing what our needs are across the horizon. And I think something like 48% of businesses go out of business in the first five years. And a large reason for that is uh, lack of access to capital or just simply running out of capital. All right. So are you suggesting that people shouldn't bootstrap? I don't know that people think that they should only bootstrap, but I think it ends up being people's option. I mean, it's like you're, you're, I, I tell people all the time, the money to start your business most likely is going to come from your right or your left pocket, right? So what I want to understand from you, do you feel like any business could get investor funding? Absolutely. You can get investor funding. Make no mistakes though, that you have to have a certain type of business, I think, to get venture capital funding. Venture capital is not for everyone, but I think when people think about bootstrapping, we should widen what we think of that falls under bootstrapping. I think at first we think bootstrapping is personal cash, right? Drain my savings account. I'm going to my 401k. Maybe I'm taking out a second mortgage on my home as bootstrapping. And there are so many other ways to bootstrap like business credit, uh, which I, I can dive into now if you'd like Melinda a little bit later, but Let's go there. Let's go Let's there. Go Talk there. to me about business credit. Okay. I, I should train my business. savings account, Brooke. Okay. Tell me where I should go to get this money. <laughs> Listen, we have to talk about business credit. I'll caveat that to say there are other free ways that you can get money, right? So you can pursue grants, which are very attractive, right? You can do pitch competitions, which sometimes will give you non-diluted funding if you win. But business credit is also is always there if you are just taking on uh, debt financing. And the magic of it, Melinda, is that with business credit, as you use it and access it, true business credit does not actually sit on your personal credit report. So let me say that again. Let's say you go out and get, and there's different types of business credit, but in the simplest form, let's say that you need a $20,000 start for your business and you get that on a business credit card. Unlike personal credit, where if you use that 20,000, it's going to plummet your credit score, right? Because your utilization is going to be high. Your ability to continue to access capital goes away because your utilization is so high and it drops your score. Whereas business credit, you can actually use that card for business expenses, doesn't show up on your personal credit report, doesn't slow you down. And over time, you can build actual business credit where you're not having to be a personal guarantee, uh, guarantor on, uh, on any of the money that you borrow. 
And so there's a whole process we take founders through to understand that from, is your LLC structured the right way? One, do you have an LLC? Because if you don't, we need to start there and get you in an LLC. Then we go through making sure you are showing up legitimate to a business. So no cell phone numbers on your your business information. We're not using home addresses. We're not using at gmail.com, but we're really showing up as a credible business. Then we establish your business credit reports, which are critical because people don't realize this, but you actually don't have a business credit report the same way you have a personal credit report. It doesn't naturally exist. There are steps you have to take to generate it. But once we go through those steps, then your business credit can stand on its own. But you'd be amazed at how much you're able to access and tap into responsibly uh, as you need it for, for business credit. So I'm a huge proponent for that. So you think someone straight out the box can get business credit like pre-launch or you know first six months in business? You could. I don't recommend thinking straight about funding. Usually if you are, you kind of have to already have your foundation and strategy in place. And so if I meet an entrepreneur who has, could be a great, great idea, but if they don't have a great business yet, an actual business model where they know how they're going to make revenue, we've done some work to estimate cost. We actually know how much money you need, right? To give you the runway to grow your business. At that point, you can start to consider uh, funding. I think also after testing the market, so actually piloting, getting a minimum viable product out there, making sure your customers are going to pay for what you want. After you've done some of that lead work to set a strategy, build your business model, test what your pilot with your customer, I think at that point, you're ready to really pursue funding. Maybe a little bit in those early days, but it should be light until you kind of take that milestone. You're like, yep, I've got my I'm past minimal viable product. Customers are going to pay for this. I know how much runway I need. And now I'm ready to think about how to actually get that funding. Yeah, but you're talking about to me a 12 to 18 month time frame. But but let me let me push on you one more time though, because I want to say, so your first funding, your first like I'm ready to quit my job, I'm thinking about it, I got this business I want to pursue. That first funding, where you go get that, I would normally tell people a CDFI or community development financial institution. But what would you say? CDFIs are great. I'm glad you brought that up, Melinda. But, you know, CDFIs don't work for everyone. I think you have to be in um, like an underserved area to be able to qualify for those. So it matters where your business exists to be able to tap into the CDFI. You can. uh, It's a maturity curve. I know you're looking for a yes or (laughs) a right or wrong answer, Melinda, but it's a maturity curve. You can tap into business credit pretty, pretty soon. Once we take those steps I mentioned to get yourself set up the right way, you do need an LLC. Um, you can personal guarantee for some of your first business funding, very, very easy, but uh, you have to have strong personal credit. And so that's why we actually do a lot of financial education with people around how to build personal credit. It's not enough if your personal credit is clean, meaning there's nothing negative on it, but you don't have credit. You actually have to have lines and have built your personal credit, which you can do to tap into business funding. But if you're coming in and you've already got you know, 680, 700 or higher personal credit score, uh, your utilization is under 10% or can be uh, within a given time frame. then you're in a position where you can access business credit once your LLC is uh, appropriately set up. So let's switch gears. I want to talk to you about angel investing versus venture capital. Can you describe for us the difference between that in your world? 
Absolutely. They are very, very closely related, but different. And so if you think about the overall venture capital model, it really is around investing in high promising startup companies that are rapidly growing. So we're looking at growing 2x, 3x plus a year for at least the first three to five years, really high, high growth, high market caps. So thinking that you have to have a business that your revenue is going to grow to at least 500 million, a billion or so to be a VC backable business. And angel investing, I think, still tends to play by a lot of those same rules, maybe slightly different, but it still exists to have a return for your investors. But angel investing is more of an individual investor. And so rather than working with a VC fund that's going to have pretty particular rules on how they think about investments, where they invest, it's usually a vote based on uh, multiple partner votes. Angel investing can be a little bit friendlier to founders, especially when you're earlier. So in that friends and family round, I know a lot of people in certain communities don't have a friends and family uh, round to be able to raise. They can go to angel investors uh, to do that. And so my husband and I, we angel invest through a group called the Cap Table Coalition. I sit on the investment committee there. It's actually a group that's made up uh, specifically of Black and Latinx investors taking up space on cap tables. And we work to fill those allocations. But it's intentionally set up to be friendly where you can, um, as an investor, donate as little as $1,000 in some cases, $5,000, uh, but can be super, super helpful to the founder. And then some angels will write checks directly. So if you're just looking for 5000 here, 10000 there, when you're very, very early, angel investing can be a good, a good place to go. So you mentioned earlier that it is really tough for women and people of color to get access to this money, angel investors, venture capital. Do you see that getting any better, you know, post George Floyd? You know, I I see a lot of programs talking about black women entrepreneurs, but, you know, what's the real deal? Like, are people getting more access to funding these days? I do think it's getting better slowly. I hate to say that it is getting better slowly because honestly, Melinda, five years ago, no one was talking about um, supporting Black women investors specifically. All of these emerging fund managers that you see that are popping up to specifically support these groups didn't exist, right? It's been a surge in the last five years and definitely in the last two, two and a half years since George Floyd. So it is difficult, despite that it is still very, very difficult because I think it's it's a small amount. It's under, I think, 2% of the money flows to women and founders of color. It's a very, very tiny amount because the networks are small, but I tell founders not to give up hope because they're one, if you have a great viable business, you can absolutely raise. It may take you longer to do it, but you can absolutely do it. So don't give up, but definitely play a networking game. It is around getting people to the right places. Make sure you're pitching to funds that are interested in what you actually do and not pitching to funds that don't even invest in that area and really building relationships you can pull on to help you navigate VC. Well, all of this advice is great, Brooke. Now, I actually had the opportunity to be on a panel recently with Arlen Hamilton, who you know is is a top venture capitalist, and she's invested $20 million in 200 businesses. And when we were on the stage together, she made a comment that she is looking for businesses that are hungry, not thirsty. And I was curious as to when you consider businesses that approach you um, you know, what is your stance on how people need to come for you if they're interested in really getting you to write a check? I, I love that hungry, not thirsty is a good way to describe it. And I, I would definitely agree. 
you know, I, again, I meet founders a lot who have great ideas, but they've yet to tell me how it's going to be a great business. And again, angels are investing not just to support the founder, but are investing to also see a return on their money. And so you got to tell me how it's a good business. And so, again, I think a lot of founders maybe where I don't want to put words in in, uh, Arlen's mouth, but the thirstiness to me kind of comes from feeling like you're ready to raise and not understanding when you maybe have more work to do. And so for me as an angel, I tend to look for companies that have some product market fit in the ideation stage. There are definitely resources I can provide, intros I can make and really help you kind of navigate that piece. But I'm usually looking for companies that have already done some work to at least get a couple of customers in their space to prove it out. Um, for me personally, I don't know that a lot of a lot of angels invest in the ideation stage. Some do. But generally, you've got to really get out there and get a couple of um, customers under your belt. And so for me, that's the difference between hungry, which is passionate about an idea dedicated, smart, motivated. I know that I'm going to go out and achieve this and being thirsty, which is almost desperate when you're not really in a position that I understand how I'm going to get my money back as an angel, like as an investor, people invest to get their money back. And so I think for me, that's the difference is your approach and where you are um, in terms of the investor feeling like, are you ready or not? Are you asking for money prematurely? Well, let me, let me ask you about another form of fundraising that I've seen got hot and I think it's cooled off. Um, and that's crowdfunding. Is crowdfunding still something uh, worth pursuing? Do you see a lot of African-American business owners really being successful with that? I do. I think crowdfunding is viable and the regulations continue to get friendlier towards crowdfunding. So I actually think we'll see an expansion of it. I think at this point you can raise up to $5 million. Um, crowdfunded from non-accredited investors before you have to raise from accredited investors. That distinction is really huge because, uh, you know, a, a credit investor is defined as, I believe, someone that uh, has a, a million plus in network, makes 200000 a year, um, looking back over two to three years, or works in some area where they would have um, a in-depth understanding of securities. And so to be able to raise $5 million from people that don't qualify as accredited is tremendous. So I love crowdfunding. There's some good ones out there. Most people are familiar with Kickstarter fundable, their seed invest. We fund a ton out there, but I think they're also very, very viable, especially if you've got something that you're uh, raising money for, that's easy for a consumer or someone to understand and be like, this is really cool. I want to put money in here. Mm-hmm. But I do know that the average crowdfunding campaign only generates $10,000. So I do realize that if you get that hot product, definitely you can go up to $5 million. But most people don't. And so I tell people all the time, it's a great way to get distracted from running your business. So unless you really know what you're doing and you have a really shrewd marketing plan and some people who have done it successfully on your team, it's a hard thing to do. And it it might just be better for you to go out and actually pursue customers as opposed to doing it. All right, Brooke, we've got to wrap this up. So tell me, what is the best business advice you have ever been given? That's a good one. I would say maybe not, this is going to sound cliche, um, but not being afraid to fail and move on. I think sometimes as business owners, when we fail, we beat ourselves up. We feel really bad about it. We lost money, right? Usually the mistake has some money to it. We fall really down, really. you know. And sometimes when you fall down, you can lose your confidence, lose your ego. You can even get desperate, right? By taking those punches. 
And the advice to me was like, don't beat yourself up. You're actually stronger by failing. There are some VCs out there and investors in general that would rather invest in a second time founder who failed the first time than a first time founder because of all the things you you just have to learn by doing it yourself. And so for me, getting some of that energy to just pick myself back up, not be ashamed, admit that I've made mistakes where I've lost money for the business. Totally, it happens to all of us. But being able to kind of own that and say, what can I take away from it and how can I move forward was just good advice to me, uh, which I would share to anybody out there. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. It actually makes you a lot stronger. Oh yeah, I, I believe that you you know you don't lose you you, you know some of the lessons just get to be more expensive than others for for sure. Well, listen, Brooke, thank you so much for being with me. If you guys want more information about how she helps small businesses, go to thebrookdaniels.com. And if you're interested in learning about what kind of boss you might be, head over to bossquiz.com. It's not a quiz. It's actually going to give you a 12-page business assessment about what is going to be the right type of business for you. I'm Melinda Emerson, the Small Biz Lady, and I'm so glad that you spent time with me on the Small Biz Chat Podcast. And I will leave you with this. You never lose in business. Either you win or you learn. God bless everybody. Thanks for listening to the Small Biz Chat Podcast with Melinda Emerson. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and join us next Wednesday for more fantastic information and interviews. You can find more sources and small business success strategies by visiting Melinda's website, succeedasyourownboss.com. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.